So Josh Koppelman, I imagine everyone in the room knows Josh Koppelman. Um, founder of First Round Capital in 2004, and having created several successful companies before that, Half.com I think being the best known. But in 2004, when you created First Round Capital, seed investing wasn't really a thing. And I remember even right after that, they called it micro VCs. Um, but a lot has changed. <laughs> There's, I read $8 billion went into seed investments last year. Like, Give us some context, 2020, just what has changed in the ecosystem. Well, it's been transformational. I mean, what, what started off as a contrarian idea, um, which was institutionalizing seed stage, um, is now extremely consensus. There are over a thousand seed stage funds that have gotten started in the last five years. Um, you know, and, and it's had massive impacts because Seed as an asset class, um, it's, it, it's easier to flood um, than a later stage asset class where you could see round, you know, companies that have raised $8 billion, you, you now see an asset class that's raised eight. Sort of the best metaphor that I can use is I have, a friend, I have friends who are traders in Wall Street and, and they're, they're, they, they work at hedge funds and there are two types of, uh, of trades. There's some where they're picking stocks and there are others where they're looking for an edge or an arb or uh, an insight. They're trying to find uh, a, a misallocation of capital. Um, and oftentimes when they find those arb strategies or those trades, they are looking, uh, those trades tend to be capital constrained, right? So like, you know, whether it's decimalization or speed or whatever it is, you're finding, a tr you, you, you think you found a market inefficiency or market dislocation and you're trading on it. And then as more, more people become aware of it, like the, the ARB disappears and the trade um, gets inverted and, yep. and you don't make money. So when I look at seed, back in 2004 um, to 2014, I think funds could make money on the pick, picking the companies, but also on trading the ARB of a, of a, of a dislocation, a lack of capital that was like, while venture funds were getting bigger, companies needed less initial capital to get started. And there was a lot of money that was made on, on, that, on that ARB, on that market inefficiency. That has now gone away. Right. Um, you no longer have, if anything, it's, it's inverted the other way. So today, the way you have to make money and see it is purely um, on the pick. And you're almost doing it ag against the market tide rather than with, you know, with the wind in front of you rather than behind you. When I talk to you, eight years ago and I was racing around to every VC saying, what have you learned about the business? What do you know? What's unique? You said to me, I think this business is 70% picking the right founder because everything that comes after that, you can maybe make 30% of a difference. If you pick the wrong founder in the first place, no amount of building platform or doing it that matters. You still kind of stand by that. Yes. I think that, um, as, as much as a VC, and much as we and a lot of, a lot of good funds try to help founders, um, you know, if the job of a VC is sourcing, picking, winning, and helping, I think you make 80% of your money on the pick. You picked Uber. My partner Rob picked Uber. Okay. Your partner Rob, and uh, what was it you saw in that? Um, so Garrett, we knew Garrett Camp, who was the co-founder. We funded, um, we were fortunate to fund StumbleUpon beforehand, and I was on his board there and he had sold that um, to eBay. And it, 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 
one of the Uber had a lot of characteristics that we liked. It was a consumer marketplace. You had um, in a marketplace. We we liked the frequency of use. That it was a it was a high frequency product. We liked the fact that it was a marketplace with big audiences on both sides. A large, you needed a large number of drivers and a large number of riders, which, which created a real opportunity. But I, I, I wouldn't say that any of us thought that Uber was Uber when we first saw it. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, Travis wasn't running Uber. No, then. Travis was a co-founder. When we, 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 when we backed it, Ryan was the, the founder, the and CEO, not the founder. Uh, given how many new funds are in the room that have been created in the last five to ten years, um, given how you view the market today where there's so much capital, where there's no ARB, where it's all in the pick, like what advice would you have for people? I think that many people just assume that there's a fund framework, right? You just call up Gunderson or your law firm and they give you the docs and now you're a venture, now you're a venture fund. Um, and I think that so much of what we've tried to do is view ourselves as a company, not a fund. We have customers, um, the founders. We have shareholders, our LPs. We're in sales. Um, um, we have a product, which is a set of, uh, of experiences, software, knowledge, know-how, and network that help our companies win. And, we're, and just like founders, we're trying to constantly find product market fit. We're trying to constantly experiment and innovate in value delivery. Um, and sometimes we hit it and sometimes we don't. Um, but I think that's too many people sort of sit down and say, oh, the model is just build a venture fund and I'll go out and try to innovate in, in just having a better network. And I think that's really hard. You know, I sort of feel like you were at my annual meeting yesterday. Because <laughs> in my annual meeting, we talked about the need to have edge and the fact that a lot of people don't really have edge or a framework for what they're trying to achieve, whether you achieve it or not. And we talked about how we think about upfront as a company that operates not a fund and we try to run it like a company. Um, as you think about the number of seed funds out here, the insane amount of competition that clearly drives up valuations, it massively compresses how long you have to look at a deal. Everything that we're seeing, everyone's seeing, uh, there's perfect information now. In 2004, there wasn't perfect information. How does that change how you operate? Sure. I, I, the biggest thing you mentioned, and it's something that we actually measure, is time for decisioning. Um, you know, so one of the we 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 we're pretty data driven, so we use Salesforce. And so if you go, we could go back and look at every single company we funded since 2004, the date it it like we first emailed with that founder, and the date we signed the term sheet. And it's fascinating. You just see sort of what was a 90-day process shrink to an average of nine. Wow. Um, and, um, and so that just creates real challenges um, in terms of your ability to, to ha make high-quality and high-confidence decisions. Um, we've, we've, we've at, we, moved now, we have partner meetings twice a week rather than once a week because we want to be able to make sure we're con communicating and talking with our partners um, in order to be able to, um, to, be able to move quickly enough. Um, and it also, it also just the, 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 the proliferation of funds, I think also has made brand far more important. Um, you know, when we started, there were just a handful of funds, right? You had Ron Conway at SV Angel, and quickly you had Mike Maples and Jeff Clavier, and a few, uh, there were like six funds. So it was like, if you wanted to, imagine if you walked into a Foot Locker and um, there were like six sneakers on the wall. That was it. 
well, you could just try everyone on and see what fits, right? You could try everyone on and see which, is the, which feels the best. You know, when you walk into a Foot Locker and there are a thousand sneakers on the wall, you're not going to try all of them on. So you're going to have to use proxies. You're going to have to say, like, I want the Nikes, or I want the Adidas, or I want the Comet. Like, you're going to go based on brand, and that brand is based on, uh, on, on there's persistency, so there's benefits, of, there's benefits to having been associated with prior af successful athletes in the sneaker metaphor. Um, and, and so it's, it, it's kind of changed a little bit the way that we, you know, it, it led us to create things like the first round review. It was why our holiday video was, was so important to us in the first 10 years. Uh, how do you think about brand? Like in your mind, if brand is so important, what is brand? How does one establish it in a, in a market where our product is money and time? I think, I think brand has to represent the value that you, the, the value and the values that you as a firm aspire to. So um, from our perspective, um, in the beginning, all of our partners started to blog. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we you were Red IVC. I was right? Red IVC. I don't think I've posted in 10 years, but I... <laughs> I <laughs> You've been busy. I, I posted very actively. But what, what, what we realized was that um, we, had this, we had this online network. So one of the things that we do is we have software engineers that, connect, that try to connect all of the employees of all of our companies together. Um, so if you're, if you're a mobile marketing manager at an up-and-coming company and you want to know to how to get featured as the Apple App Store recommendation of the week, maybe you could ask me, but it would be much better if you go on network and ask the mobile marketing manager at Warby, at Warby Parker, Hotel Tonight, Square, Uber, you know, at, at other companies that have done it, um, and just ask them directly. And what we found was that so much great content was being created there but it was only sort of limited to our community. So we said, let's run an experiment and let's try to just liberate like, the content that's trapped in the minds of great practitioners. And we weren't taking it from like, the famous celebrity CEOs, but instead it was often sort of their head of growth or their head of, of recruiting and, 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 and we would figure out. Um, and so we ran first run review as an experiment and now we, we have two full-time people creating content um, just from that. And the majority of the content isn't even from companies in our community, but it's just trying to sort of help, help further the entrepreneurial ecosystem and maybe showcase some of the network connectivity and the benefits that, that you might get from working with First Run. Do you, going back to the original topic we were on about how fast things are going, valuations going up, do you have like valuation guidelines? Uh, if there's these crazy price deals, are you willing to lean in and do them? So, I've a, I've a, I've a, I'm trying to think through the audience. I have limited partners in the room, so of course we have valuation guidelines. <laughs> there are entrepreneurs in the room who are, of course, we like we you know we want to lead your deal. So, um, I, I, it, I'm reminded of things. Just say yes. <laughs> I'm reminded of what Jim Breyer once said. I was talking with him years ago, and he said valuation is part art and part science. Um, you know. 10%, 90% of the time it's science. You need to be tight on valuation. But the art is knowing the 10% where you need to totally cave on valuation. Right. Um, and so, so yes, but, like, but in general, we've been, we've been somewhat disciplined. I wouldn't say we are the highest price um, um, investor, but we also are players in a market. And we recognize that... Um, that there would be too much adverse selection if we tried to totally count, you know, uh, uh, go against the market. Um, 
the hard part is that you know, the math adventure is simple. Like, it's really humbling, this business. You've been doing it a long time. The more I do it, the more I remember the times I banged the table for something or against something, and I look back sort of with, with hindsight and I just cringe. But, but the, the, you know, there are two numbers that matter, the price you get in at or the price you exit at. And when we first started, we were talking about $4 million pre-money valuations, and now you're seeing some companies that raise seed at 12 mm -hmm. um, or, or higher. And, and what does that mean? Well, like if nothing else changes, that one change takes what would have been a 9x fund and makes it a 3x fund. Right. Or takes what would have been a 3x fund and makes it a 1x fund. So like valuation definitely matters. Uh, although exit prices have gone up too. So if you get in the right deals, it kind of works out. Yes. Well, if you get in the right deals, you, you're fine if you overpay. Yes. The 10%, right? <laughs> um, the VC mantra for early stage investing is VC investing at early stage is a local business. So most of your investments are in Philadelphia, I assume. <laughs> uh, so how do you think about geography and how do you bridge geography? I know you have partners in San Francisco. I think you have partners in New York. Yeah, our largest and office in, in San Philly. Francisco. Philly is the smallest office. We have 30 people in San Francisco and seven, six or seven in New York. Um, but I think that's a little dated, I, that, that mantra. I think that we, we've been, you know, you're, you're, you're looking around and you're just seeing a, research, a, a real boom in distributed companies. And we've operated as a distributed company now for the last 13 years. What tools do you use to do that? What's had the biggest impact? So video conferencing by far. Mm -hmm. um, and, we, and you have to be, build things, you have to build culturally connective tissues to have time in person. So we do two partner meetings instead of one, both because of time, but also it gives us as a partnership more time to interact. Every, every month or so, we try to do an in-person dinner of all the partners. So on Monday, the East Coast partners, for example, this week flew to San Francisco and we all had a meeting. We do partner retreats twice a year instead of one time a year. Um, you know, and, and we're pretty good about using like, uh, Salesforce and other tools so that knowledge gets distributed pretty quickly, um, either in terms of how portfolio companies are operating, the needs that, that our portfolio companies have. We have, a, we have a platform and operational support team of over 30 people. So we want to make sure that if, if I know what a company is looking for or how to help a company, that it doesn't just depend on me, but we could unlock it for elsewhere. Um, and we haven't found, like, I'll tell you that, you know, my partner Bill is in, as out west, and he takes most of his initial meetings now are even Zoom meetings. So, so I, I, I find that the, the, that the distance thing is less important. We, we, we focus domestically because we think that's where we can help. So we haven't, we haven't tested the theory by, by really funding that much overseas. Right. Um, but at least domestically, I feel pretty comfortable that a distributed organization as a partnership can work. Um, speaking of brand, first round capital pretty much lays out what your point of your fund is. Uh, I remember 96, and in fact, that's when Upfront was first created, 1996. The biggest funds in Silicon Valley were $150 million. Now they're raising billions. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think you ever raised second round capital. And we created. own secondround.com. Oh, you do? Okay. Yes. So, but that's was more that defense that, or? That's defense. Okay. That's defense. <laughs> that's defense. How, I mean, obviously your returns have been spectacular. How come you haven't ever raised a larger fund? Because I don't think, I think when I look at the partners that we've attracted, we didn't get into this business to be a money manager or even like a venture capitalist. We all, like, let's put it another way. I think the first 24 months of a company's life are a magical time. Right. 
It's the hunt for product market fit. You're building your culture, you're hiring, you're figuring out pricing and distribution. You're, so much of that company gets baked in the first 24 months. And I think we chose a business and a craft where we could like, be privileged enough to, to be participants at that stage in a company's life. And, and, and it works for us in that like, we think that, that there's real benefit that comes from specialization. And, 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 so, and we think that is an area where we, you know, where we might have, there are lots of areas we wouldn't have an advantage, but that's an area where we might be able to have a real marginal value add. Um, I wouldn't rule out other opportunity funds or growth funds or funds, but like every time we've looked at it over the last 15 years, it wasn't driven from an insight and a passion. Um, it, you know, like we, we, would, we would be doing, we found that we were doing it for the wrong reasons. So if we do it, we'd have to be, convince ourselves that we're doing it because we think that we have a marginal advantage there. Right, and would enjoy doing it. That's right. Um, yesterday at my annual meeting, we talked about what makes an upfront partner or an upfront employee. Uh, and we try to be thoughtful about what we think it means. What did you say? <laughs> well, I will, I will coin Kara Nortman, mm -hmm. uh, who said, we all pretty much have the same back end, but we all have very different UIs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think our, our value system on the back end, we tend to be company builders. Mm -hmm. We tend to be worker bees. We tend to be doers. We tend to be action oriented. We value team. Um, we think it's a people business. We think of ourselves as really in the people business, not to be cliche about it, but the pick being incredibly important. But I don't think it's just that. I think it's who you surround that entrepreneur with. It's knowing their strengths and weaknesses and knowing how to complement those and to add to the team to get the best out of the team and company. So like those are kind of our value system. And we want people who culturally are aligned but actually come from different networks. So we value diversity of network, diversity of thought, diversity of geography. So anyway, that's how we defined it. So I think there are a lot of similarities. I'd say that um, we believe that we're in service of the entrepreneur. Um, and, and so it's important to have um, people that, that have a service mindset. Um, all of the current, partner, current investment partners have been operators. And I think that brings out a really important thing, which is empathy. You know, when a founder's sitting there, it's a lonely, it's just such a lonely job, and there's so much uncertainty, and they're making decisions with imperfect information. And it's really important as an investor to realize that you are one data point, and you are probably a poorly informed data point. Um, so the, the, the importance of understanding that maybe your job is asking the right questions rather than giving the right answers. We like competitive people, we think, uh, and so we want, our, we want, this is not a job, a first, run, a first run partner is not a place where someone goes to slow down in their career, it's a place where someone like, wants to put their foot on, their on the gas. Um, and we also really, I think, put value intellectual honesty um, in that it, it's, it, you know, our job is decisioning. Right. Like, like we make our money based and we create our value for, for, for our limited partners based on the decisions we make. So, so really understanding the ingredients of a decision and how you could, you know, if our craft is making good decisions, we want people who are, who are driven to improve their craft as they, as they, as they perform. You talked about LPs. Uh, you and I spoke years ago about LPs and you had some pretty strong 
thoughtful views about how to construct an LP base. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure, we've been fortunate just we've, we, so given that the fund size really hasn't increased meaningfully, we, we've gone up a few, you know, 10, 20%, but like in the last fund, but not, right. not multiples. Um, we've been fortunate that we've had a lot of the same LPs um, from when we started. Um, I think for us, benefit, like who we're working for matters. Um, and especially if you're building a broader team, it really ties into your mission. So uh, around 80% of our limited partner base are nonprofits. Right. Um, so whether it's Children's Hospital or Sloan Kettering, there's a real benefit to know that you're not just like doing this to make rich people richer, but like if, if you could generate multiples, you're actually having additional echoes out there, out in, soci out in society. There's an, there's an, an additional ROI. Um, for us, we wanted to have a, a diverse LP group in terms of we didn't want to have just one, we didn't want to be sort of seen as one core, uh, had one LP. So, you know, we have, we have two, our, our two largest LPs have the same exact amount. Um, we wanted people who are really committed to the asset class, where this is not an experiment for them, but, but they understand the, new, the, the, the challenges of venture and that we, that, that, Look, we would have to perform, but we didn't want to be, uh, we didn't want our relationship to be driven by their, un, their lack of knowledge about market cycles and venture. Right. Uh, you've been fortunate both because you performed well and you have an increased fund size, so LP fundraising hasn't been an issue for you, but you must give advice to younger, newer funds that are created. What advice do you have for people about meeting LPs, managing LP relationships, raising capital? So I think I, I, the, the funny part is I'm probably the, the worst at this just because I haven't, we haven't really done that in a while. The, the, when, when, we're talking to found, when we're talking to people that are founding funds, um, A, it's always gonna be harder than you think. Um, even if you had a great track record as an angel, um, it's gonna be harder. B, um, if you're an individual GP, it's even going to be harder because especially the institutional investors are going to be really thinking about longevity and, 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 and duration. Um, see, they reference, LPs reference you very heavily with, G, with existing GPs. So it's really important that you, that, that, you know, if you've been an angel investor and been doing it a while, that helps you because you have a strong amount of GP um, relationships. And, and, and I would find that transparency is super important and lack of promotion. Like, I find that some people, like, unrealized returns have a very, like, it took me a long time to realize that unrealized returns will likely often never get realized. And <laughs> I think that made sense. Um, but like LPs know that. And so like when you walk in and you're promoting your IRR and you've been doing it for 18 months or 36 months, like that, there's so much unknown there that um, that I think walking in with that level of humility is important. Um, you could talk about why you're excited about companies, but, but talking about numbers, I, I think, is false precision. The flip side is we have many LPs here. What advice do you have for LPs and how to be thoughtful about which VC managers to back? I think many people walk in and talk about their network or talk about their relationships. For me, the, and, and, and LPs probably put too much emphasis on calling other GPs. Mm -hmm. So they'll call me and say, what do you think of this fund? And, and, and maybe I have a point of view, but often I, you, know, you might not have much to add. What I think is really important is trying to understand the quality of their decisioning. Um, too many people in, this in our industry suffer from resulting. 
So I don't know, I'm, I'm a big fanboy of Annie Duke. She's a, a, a famous poker player, and she wrote a great book called Thinking in Bets. And, and she talks about resulting. And resulting is when you judge the quality of a decision by the quality of an outcome. So tonight at your party, I could have five drinks and choose to drive home. Dumb decision. Please don't. But if I drove home and got home safely, you wouldn't judge the quality of the decision by the quality of the outcome. You yeah. wouldn't say, I got home safe. That was really smart. You would say that was a dumb decision. And likewise, there are, there are times where as investors, we've made bad decisions that have had good outcomes. And when you're dealing with sparse data, which you're dealing with in venture, um, it's really easy to get influenced by, the by ju solely judging the quality of the outcomes. And, and, and so if I were focused, if I were an LP, I would be pushing people to really understand the quality of the decisioning. Why did you choose to meet with this founder and not that founder? What was it that, like, I would really be unpacking the decision hygiene that that person makes. The other thing I would just add for me for LPs is understanding the dynamics between the people who make the decisions. And or that's who's pretty, making, Or who's making the decisions. It's pretty critical, the dynamics of it. So I really, before we go, have to ask you about platform. You have, with far fewer resources than, say, Andreessen Horowitz, which is invested heavily in platform and done very well with platform services. But you've been really a pioneer uh, from early um, getting CEOs together, educating them, first round review. Um, how do you come up with ideas for platform services and what do you think the innovations are gonna be of the next decade? Yeah, so we invest very heavily in that. Um, I'd say it's the single largest sort of other, you know, it's the single largest capital deployment for us. And, and the, the reason why, and we, have, and we have a partner who's solely focused on it. My partner, Brett, is, is, is tremendous, and, he, and he's the one that comes up with most of these things. But the, the basic view stems from the fact that as much as you and I talk about wanting, you know, wanting to fund software-based, non-human services, network-effect-driven businesses, by and large, venture is a non-software-based, services-based, anti-network-effect business. If, you're, if, I'm point, if I'm a traditional VC and I'm point on five companies, I can spend a day a week with them. If I'm point on 10, so I add five more, I can now spend a day every other week. So you're, each time you add a new node to the network, you're reducing the value. Um, all, most of all, our platform initiatives are attempts to try to build network effects into our business. So our online network, for example, now we have thousands of employees at all of our companies, across all of our companies who are helping each other. So when someone comes to me and says, could you recommend a good PR firm for a B2B launch? Sure, maybe I could, but we have hundreds of other people in our community that could do that. And First Run Review is about trying to create network effects, and Dorm Room Fund is about trying to do that. So what we're trying to do is sort of eliminate the, 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 like the, 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 the thought that value delivery comes from like, I'm arrogant enough to believe that I have all of the good answers in my head and I will, speak, I will enlighten my founders, but instead sort of help having our founders and the teams they hire help each other. I have been a long believer that VC is not a one-to-one -one business and too many people prosecute it as a one-to-one -one business. Well, this is why, you'd like the, this is why we do this. events yep. like this. So I could uh, sit here all day and ask you more questions, but thank you to Josh Koppelman for Thank coming out for me. this. Really appreciate it.